0: All right, we're live. Live like a butterfly. That's right. That's what we always say. Um, how you doing, Paul? I'm doing fantastically.
1: Your face looks super lit in the in the like actual sense, not the. Oh, I <laughs> the thought you thought I was. <laughs> I thought you were giving me a compliment on how good I look. No, you just you you look you look amazing, Brian. You look without fault and
0: blemish. That's weird. Well, people listening can't see this, but Paul is uh, podcasting from an undisclosed location <laughs> in a bunker yeah, you, you, you look like, you're, like you've got this massive uh, AC unit behind you. That's just like so the ones that are like New half. York City, I know. Yeah, but it's, it's just, like the ones half out the window. I didn't even know that people you've still, that. You've never been to New York? Yeah, that's all I, mean, I have. But I just all, figured, you know, we're in the no, 21st century. No,
1: the buildings are so old here, they just don't have central air conditioning. It so literally looks like you.
0: It looks like a microwave you stuck out your window
1: or like a you're printer. Right. You caught me. <laughs> we can't afford <laughs> it.
0: <condition. laughs> you can't afford it. So you just like <laughs> just just for the optics, you're like, oh yeah, that that works. It's like, Paul, is that a microwave you stuck in your mirror? Microwave your window?
1: slash printer slash all in one. That's That'd be funny <laughs> if
0: like you're trying to fake that you actually have an air conditioning unit and then somebody like actually prints something in this paper. <laughs> so it's I get a fax. <laughs> yeah, you get a fax and it's like, oh. What? (laughs) Oh, are you faking that you have air conditioning?
1: Did you know that uh, like German espionage, like they use fax machines so that they don't get hacked? Fun fact. Like still today? Yeah, they like transport their information rather than like through email and stuff like that. They use fax machines because it's, you like you can't hack a fax machine or it's a lot more difficult. It's just like radio waves. So it's not like prone to the same security threats. How
0: do you know know this?
1: I heard it on a podcast. <laughs> yeah. I know. Um, not as interesting as what uh, we've got cooked up for today, which is yeah, nothing, we, basically.
0: We decided we're just going to um, talk. Well, we actually had a lot of conversation topics that we were, and we figured we might as well just turn on the mic while we have these conversations because that's where all the juicy stuff happens. So we had Guillaume, uh, who we've had on before, and he had a really clarifying conversation about. Roman Catholicism, and uh, I thought it was really. You know what's funny? I actually, uh, I, I you know how I like jokingly threw you under the bus, saying you don't care about justification. No, it's somebody, not jokingly. You meant all of that. <laughs> somebody, I mean, man, somebody actually came up to me after they listened to the podcast and was like, "Dude, what, like, what's called what, what's uh what's Paul's like religious background? Like, is he a Christian?" <laughs> And I was like, no, he's a Muslim. He's Egyptian. He's a Muslim, obviously. What are you talking about? Oh, man. About? That is so, so, but that's
1: hilarious. So if you're not Protestant, just you're just not with, Christian.
0: Well, we should just what, what do you mean you're not Protestant?
1: I didn't say saying, that. Uh, I'm uh, just saying uh, they, uh, they must have uh, thought uh, I was uh, not Protestant. Uh, 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 almost yeah. got you, Paul. Almost got you. <laughs> Freudian slip.
0: We should just keep going and see if people actually can discern that you're a Christian from our conversations. <laughs> That's hilarious if this person listened to
1: every single one of our episodes and still doesn't. No, think I think I'm it was just the one.
0: I know, I know. Honest mistake. I did throw you under the bus, and uh,
1: you're good. You I know, forgive you.
0: No, no, I, I didn't say I did anything wrong. I, I was just stating a <laughs> fact that I that I threw you under the bus. But uh, anyway, so Guillaume was talking about you know, in the conversations between Protestants and Catholics, there's a lot of confusion about what the actual debate is, like where the differences actually lie, mm-hmm. and um, you know, he was. Yeah, I, I thought the 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 uh, when he was talking about how there's p justification, Protestant justification, Protestant faith versus Catholic justification and ju- and Catholic faith, and they're yeah. mixed and matched. So when we say to a Catholic person, "How are you saved?" When we say "saved," they think something else. When you say "justified," yeah. they think something else. Right. When you say "faith," they they think something else. And so we have to, you know, as philosophers do, define your terms. And I thought that was helpful. Um, but you mentioned afterwards, and this is kind of what I want to ask you more about. You basically said that people who are not Calvinists, so Armenians, not Armenians, mm-hmm. that's a people group. Not but the Arminians, yes. Right. Armenians are essentially, they have a, a similar model to Catholicism. I think they're actually in a
1: worse off position. So j- really? just just to recap, at least on the Catholic view, you are... You're justified when you're in the state of grace through baptism, and then you lose that if you commit a mortal sin, then you have to do penance, confession, get back into the or, um, state of grace. And, and that, that cyclical model is very clearly prescribed. Like, you know exactly what you have to do if you commit a mortal sin, if you lose your salvation, if you come out of the state of grace, the priest tells you, you need to confess, do this penance, and then you're back in, right? So you, you, you everything is spelled out there. Um, so... On this Catholic view, there is a kind of like, it seems like they deny perseverance of the saints. You can lose your salvation, and then you regain it by doing these penance and confession, and the model prescribes exactly what to do. So if you're an Armenian, though, and you think you can lose your salvation, not all Armenians believe this, and so caveat, but if you are a Christian who believes that you can lose your salvation, getting back your salvation, getting back into that state of justification, is kind of amorphous and ambiguous. It's not clearly spelled out like a sacramental system. So on the Catholic view, they don't have perseverance of the saints. They don't have this view where if God saves you, he's going to keep you until forever. Uh, You can lose your faith, but at least they spell out exactly what it takes to get back your salvation. Whereas a typical Protestant term doesn't even have that sort of luxury.
0: You said perseverance of the saints. So basically that any system that says you can lose your salvation, Mm -hmm. um, if you if you can lose your salvation in that system, there needs to be a way for you to get back into it. Right. And so both Catholics and Arminians. So, I mean, how would you define Arminian? What would you say? Uh, I mean, someone who thinks that. Can you tell if someone's an Arminian?
1: They come from by the, the, way the they Balkan talk? region around the Mediterranean. And I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, I actually don't know what the technical definition of Arminian is, but it's like someone who believes that there's simple foreknowledge. God doesn't predestine and determine the future and grace is cooperative and synergistic rather than monergistic. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's what I take the basic American
0: evangelical to be. Right. So maybe we could just simple. I mean, you're just talking about, again, someone who thinks that you can lose your faith. So right. like, I mean, I guess you sin too much or you uh, well, I guess one common thing would be you stop believing in Christianity or in Christ. And mm-hmm. the idea is that at one time you truly did have genuine faith. You truly, you truly were saved at one point, and then you lost it by unbelief. Whereas right. someone who doesn't believe that would say, well, if you turn away from your faith, it shows that you never really had it in the first place. Something, yes, something I like think, that. I
1: think that would be the more Calvinistic answer because the Calvinist doesn't want to say that we have the power To lose our salvation it's not the sort of thing that we can do once god has accomplished it in us so if we quote unquote fall away that's evidence that we never actually had it the falling away was just like a ephemeral or apparent salvation that we lose not an actual salvation that we lose
0: okay so but again if you can lose your salvation uh there needs to be a way back in and you're saying that at least for Catholics, they're like, hey, you can lose your salvation, but there's a way back in. There's a, there's right. a nice little system we have set up. Exactly. Whereas yeah. if you're – if you are not a Catholic, you don't have the Catholic system. So it's like, well, how do you get back in? And I yeah. mean how, how do people – how would you think an, uh, an Arminian or uh, somebody who believes that you can lose your salvation, how do you think they would say you can get back in? You can get back saved again? Would you just have to believe again?
1: I think you have to repent of whatever it is that caused you to fall out of it in the first place, whether it's perpetual sin, whether it's unbelief, whether it's a combination of the two. But I think they'd say the same things that the apostles said, just repent and believe. And so that that's the formula. I think the downside there is it's a lot more ambiguous what that looks like. Um, whereas in the Catholic system, it's very clearly prescribed. But then again, like like you mentioned, I think we were talking about this, on the Catholic system, you have to do the penance and confession with true, perfect contrition, or at least a kind of sincere contrition. And then that's the sort of thing where you can always ask, like, am I really sincerely being contrite or am I just doing this kind of rote ritual with no actual heart behind it or anything like that? So I guess there was a similar worry there, and that's you could talk about Luther's agony over is he actually contrite when he repents? And and that's what sort of... Uh, caused his his anxiety about his own assurance and so so maybe maybe there is an ambiguity even in the catholic view um but yeah that was just that was just my thought
0: i don't know what do you think tell me the truth brian well i tried to get this with Guillaume, and i don't know if i articulated well but it almost it's not semantics um well let me let me start with this do you know the new the no true scotsman fallacy yeah mm-hmm. does that apply here where you're like well he wasn't truly a Christian. Does that make sense? I mean, if if the
1: doctrine of perseverance of the saints is true, then it also has to be true that if someone "quote unquote" loses their salvation, that they never really had it.
0: Okay, and the tr- the, the no true Scotsman fallacy. How, how would you explain that? I, I have a hard time explaining it. It's it just
1: means that like any any time you try to identify um, a, a kind of person, and someone keeps giving you examples. Well, here's an example of. A Scotsman, you say, well, they're not truly a Scotsman because they like this and like this and like this. And eventually you end up putting so many conditions
0: that no one meets that um, condition. Oh, okay. So, but yeah, for I, a Christian, there are people who meet the condition. So, or by definition, a Christian is someone who has genuine faith.
1: Yes, yeah. I mean, okay. there are there are true Christians. If Calvinism is true, it's impossible to have salvation and lose it. If a version of Arminianism is true, it's possible to have your faith and then lose it. And... That that makes sense, given how the two different systems articulate what it is to be saved. On the Calvinist view, like God sticks his hand down, picks you up and saves you. And Jesus talks about my sheep are in my hand. They know my voice. They can never leave. So it's a very like unidirectional model. God saves you. Like God literally saves you. You as a mere mortal don't have the ability to jump out of God's hand or reject that or anything like that. Whereas on this Arminian model salvation is a kind of like God puts down a rope and you have to grasp it. And it's possible that you let go sometimes, or it's possible that you slip and then you have to. So it, it's, it's because they fundamentally think of salvation. I think as we're the saving process in, in, in different ways that they end up with two answers, two different answers about whether or not you can lose your salvation.
0: Okay. Well, how do I know I'm in? Okay. I know That's I can't true. get out of the hand, but how do I know I'm in the hand to begin with? And then you're like, well, is there fruit in my life? And then you go, well, how much fruit do I need to know that I'm in? And then it just seems like it's, you're back at square one. So it's, it's a question of assurance like where does your assurance come from um and i think there's something to like you know the response, like something to church where you hear the word of god and then you respond and uh you and the promise of god is consistently put forward to you so that's, you're not looking at yourself right all the time yes you know and um i wonder if that's really a question of like you know I guess, how do I know that I'm elect? How do I know I'm the person that's not going to fall away? And it's like, well, you don't fall away, you know? And and there's still, so on a practical level, it's like, there's still a call to be obedient. And it's not like a thing where you just, it doesn't matter what I do. Right. Um, And I guess it's trusting that if you truly belong to God, you will return to him. And, but there could be dips in the, there could be times when it seems like someone's genuinely, they never had true faith. But it really was that they just were wandering around for 15 years and then they come back right. around. He was, oh, so I think making judgments in the moment, it's its its a little harder to do. But I do think there's a problem of like, you know, sometimes even in reformed preaching or Calvinist preaching, people, it's almost like um, it's a virtue to like question your salvation or for preaching to make yeah. you wonder if you're a Christian. And I don't think that that's what it should be.
1: Yeah, no, I, you know? I agree.
0: Yeah, um,
1: I think that I think that sometimes we confuse what the doctrine of perseverance of the saints entails. Perseverance of the saints doesn't tell you that your salvation will never be lost. Perseverance of the saints just says it's just a conditional statement. If you are saved, you are always saved, right? If you're in the box, you're always in the box of salvation. But it doesn't tell you specifically whether or not you meet that first condition. Like it doesn't tell you whether or not you are in the box. So that's the sort of thing that, yeah, you're right. People, and you read the Puritans, for example, they're fretting about their salvation every single waking moment. Am I saved? Am I good enough? Am I repentant enough? Am I contrite enough in that? there's a, There's a healthy instinct and there's a not healthy instinct, like you pointed out. Yeah, I don't think our eyes should constantly be on ourselves, assessing our own merits and abilities every second, every step of the way. That is just unhealthy. And it diverts from what we're supposed to be doing. Like Ephesians talks about, we are called to good works. And so there's, there's an outward focusedness of the Christian life. And if if we're occupying our attention and our thoughts all the time inwardly, there is something bad about that, right? Like the yeah. often misquoted C.S. Lewis, humility is not thinking less of yourself, thinking of yourself less. There's something true to that, that the humble person is not preoccupied with how terrible they are. That's a form of pride because it's inward directed attention, right? Like the true Christian is outward faced.
0: Well, I mean, you're right about the the, kind of the more introspection. Oh, yeah, yeah. Read read the original. Read the original.
1: (laughs) Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he's a nobody. Probably all you'll think about him is that he seems a cheerful, intelligent chap who takes a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it's only because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all.
0: I like that, that a humble person is able to enjoy life. Mm -hmm. And it is amazing. Like what are the, one of the main fruits of like the spirit, Um, they're very outward oriented, love, peace, patience, you know, all these, but but also like, you know, Paul's like, look, if a church really understands the gospel, the fruit is gonna be love. They're gonna be thinking Mm -hmm. about one another. I mean, you read that through all of his epistles. Yeah, It's really Jesus' teaching too. So, you know, I wonder if it's like, okay, well, how 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 bad do I feel over my sin? How radical am I going to be for Jesus? How much do I feel in my quiet times with Jesus? It's not a great barometer. In fact, if you're looking for one, it's just like, how much do I see, you know, the image of God in others? I was actually reading, a, I think it was a, Alistair Roberts is like, Audio commentary on First Corinthians eleven. Of he talks you are. about yeah, <laughs> and he talks about uh, dis- what it means to discern the the Lord's table. You know, like mm-hmm. or, or rather to examine yourself or to eat the table, eat from the table, fittingly. And the whole context is people at the Lord's table. They're they're having this feast around communion, right. and the rich people are. Basically, they get there first because they don't have to work all day. And so the blue-collar guys have to come in after work or before work or whatever. So the rich people, they come in, and they start eating the food. And by the time the poor guys get there, the blue-collar guys or whatever, the food's gone, and all the rich people are drunk. And he's Hmm. like, this is crazy. I mean, the whole point of the Lord's Supper is celebrating the death and resurrection of Christ. It's, It's the death of Christ. It's Christ giving up his rights for the sake of others. And here you are indulging in this meal that's a sacrifice, you know. And the, and Roberts makes a point that the discerning of the body isn't like this morbid introspection of yourself. Like how bad did I sin this week or whatever, but it's actually, do you discern the body of Christ in other people? Do you see Jesus in other people, right? Do you recognize that you are this one body interconnected, different body parts? And if you don't, then this, you know, Christ, this meal commemorates the death of Christ uh, for, he gave his body to create this body to church and you right. are dividing the body in the way that you are acting around this meal. So again, it's the examining is like, how are you viewing other people at least? And I, I don't know if that's the right answer, but it's pretty compelling. Sure.
1: There's probably something
0: right about that. And, you know, <clears throat> I, I think you just, the, the proof's in the pudding. I mean, you think about the godliest people, you know, and they're just enjoyable people to be around, you know? Mm. Um, sometimes people think that the more ornery you are, the more you care about like the holy things of God, and it's like, well, yeah. maybe, maybe not, maybe not. Maybe yeah. you're just a jerk, and you know, and you take yourself too seriously. Um, but I think there is something to that. So, and that's another way of thinking about assurance, where it's almost like really hard to have assurance when you're just by yourself, you yeah. know. So it's,
1: it's, it's about being in a community and having – are you saying like other people testify to and affirm your own salvation? Or are you just saying if you're the kind of person who's living in community, then you're more likely to exhibit fruit in charity and things like that? I,
0: I think it's both. I think it's one, you have like other people who can testify to the work of God in your life. Because a lot of times we're actually not the best witnesses of that. Yeah. We're often, you know, we often don't see our own. Obviously, they're blind spots for a reason. We don't see our own faults, but sometimes we're blind to our own growth because it's just so daily. It's kind of like, you know, when you grow up and you, you know, try to track how tall you're getting. And you, you know, if you go every day to the line, the line's not going to move, but you've, t- if you, over time, you realize you are growing or maybe your relatives realize, Oh, you've grown so much because I haven't seen you in a while. And you didn't realize you grew that much. I've never had this experience. I haven't grown since I was six (laughs) years old, but (laughs) hypothetically speaking, that's what it would be like. Um, So, yeah, I mean, but also I think being in a community affords you the opportunity to bear fruit, to actually like, you know, express the Christian life. And in doing that, you realize, Oh, I really do believe this This is a reality of my life because love is being manifested in, in my life and you can't really do that by yourself you need other people to do that
1: and we've we've talked before about the basically the inadequateness of introspection how like we we're just not good at introspecting and it's not a good way to diagnose what's really going on with us because we're very complicated we tend to have like We tend to even look at ourselves through a framework and through a grid, either one that's like overly charitable or not charitable enough. And so we can we can basically misdiagnose ourselves. Like the Old Testament talks about the heart is the most deceitful of all things. Who can know it? Like that's that's true. Like that's that's very like early primitive proto-psychology. And like there's a body of evidence that shows humans are really bad at self-reporting how we feel, what we think, what we think about ourselves, and is a uniquely Western phenomenon. So like, and so there there are tests where you can take a group of Western educated individuals and ask them to describe themselves in five words. And they always say things like independent, doctor, if that's their career, ambitious, whatever. It's all like individualized um, adjectives. Whereas if you ask someone from the Middle East or from an Eastern uh, background, their top five words to describe themselves are like husband of whoever, son of whoever, the, you know, chieftain of the local, whatever. And so they conceive of themselves more as like parts of communities rather than as like fundamentally who I am is a doctor, an ambitious person, conscientious, funny, like our whole framework of thinking about ourselves depends on what environment we're in. And so all all that to say that just like what goes into our introspection Like it's never a perfect, we never have perfect access into our own hearts and our own minds. It's always filtered. And so community helps us understand ourselves better because people around us can see our blind spots, can speak into our lives. They'll be able to chart our growth and our, you know, pitfalls better than we can. And so that's, that's just huge. Like I can't imagine living without that because you just, you won't even be, you won't be able to know yourself. If you lived on an island by yourself, you would have a totally Misconceived conception of yourself.
0: You don't want to read that back into the New Testament to think that when Paul says, examine yourself, he means like dig into your feelings. And when you think about Jesus, do you feel warm and fuzzy or whatever (laughs) he's thinking about in a totally different framework, probably more communal. I mean, like, again, individualism is not necessarily a new or an old idea or or yeah. at least at least probably in Paul's day he wasn't thinking in those terms and then it, so there's this social aspect of being a Christian like what it means to be baptized now we think about it as it's for me or it's right. for my infant or something like that you know or mm-hmm. it's 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 for our family as opposed to thinking about this as a public thing I'm being grafted into a public entity called the church right and you know <clears throat> my social relationships, in a large part define who I am. So now my whole social sphere has changed. I mean, if you think about like, you know, when people go into rehab, uh, one of the things they're told, I mean, okay, I haven't been to rehab. It sounds like I've been to rehab, (laughs) but but I've just read about this. Yeah. Um, Is that they're told, you know, you need to have new friends because you don't want to be around enablers and users and all this stuff, whatever. And the idea is that you get new friends, that new community, you're part of fundamentally changes Mm. who you are. Um, and so being around Christians is part of how God keeps you. It's part of how God uh, changes and transforms. you. It's one of the main ways that he changes and transforms you. And I think that's overlooked. Like you kind of think, you know, my Christian identity is just like my particular feelings at a particular moment or my experience of God. And that's certainly a part of it, but it's not the only part of it, you know, and and, and there's a whole – Life, the whole Christian life is, is is life done with others too. Right. You know, you can't just think of it as just one little your it's like your life, your individual personal life, uh, spiritual life with God. And then you just gather with a bunch of other people who have their own individual spiritual life with God. But rather, uh, being a Christian is made you're made part of a new community. And that you changes that, your um, understanding of yourself. There's that old phrase that you are the average of your five
1: closest friends. I think there's something to that like just as you were talking I was thinking about yeah I, I think when I've inhabited different communities in my life I changed I I and and sometimes it's for the better like when when you when you improve your closest friends you tend to grow as a person too it's very difficult to for for the five people who are actually closest to you with whom you share your life with and they share their lives with you and they you get to see them sort of like in in the most secret, intimate parts of their life and they you're vulnerable and you bear with each other. And it's very difficult for you to not imitate those people and grow to be like them. And now that's a two-edged sword because then that means that conversely, if you're surrounded by sucky people, then you're also gonna you know begin to look like that as well. And I think that's just that's how God designed us as social creatures, that we're not just we're not robots, we're not ghosts, we are living around communities and we have psychologies and those psychologies are susceptible to, to media, to nature, to friends. And so all of those things go into forming who we are. And so, yeah, if, if you're in a church community, then that's going to be the sort of thing that has a huge influence both on your character, but also on your Christian life. And, and you can feel more or less assured depending on the kind of Christian community you're inhabiting. And if it's very healthy, then that's probably going to give you more assurance vibes, as the youths might say these days, um, or it might actually tell you that you're not actually a Christian, and there's a lot that needs to be changed. And so there could be even a healthy sort of alarm or sense of urgency that that taps into. Um, but yeah, all, all that said, I, I think I think you're exactly right. And look at that, we found some some actual wisdom in an old
0: uh, an old adage. There you go. There you go. I think it is a good thing to think about. And I don't know. I've never really. You've never had friends. I've never had friends. So that's, thank you for being <laughs> my only friend. I, I, I guess I've know. never really, uh, considered how, um, you, w- you often think about like, oh, I only believe this because like I'm around people who believe it. And it's like, and,
1: Yeah. You know
0: what I mean? I mean, like if you, so unless you're willing to live like as a hermit and then go crazy, which is what (laughs) ends up happening, you're just going to leave Christianity and join another group of people who believe the same thing you do or don't believe the same things you don't believe. And so snap, I mean, shots fired. And again, that's, this is not making a truth claim. Just obviously a bunch of people can be can be wrong about something and all believe it, but yeah, there's something fundamental to that. And, um, you know, I wonder if it's like, if someone's wondering, am I really a Christian? It's like, well, do you go to church? I mean, I don't mean like, do you enter a building, but like, do you, are you connected to other believers? Because I wonder if God doesn't want to give us the assurance. And maybe you should have no assurance if you really are that isolated and unwilling and mm. to, to connect to other believers. You yeah. know? But I think having uh, others focus and, you know, a genuine love for one another, I think that's one major test. Of genuine faith in the new Testament. I mean, think about it in revelation, one of the churches when he's like, you know, you, you, you deal with false teachers well, but you don't love each other mm. or, or rather you've lost your first love. Mm. Um, and I don't know. Some people say that that's their passion for God. I don't know if it's passion for God. Maybe I think it's honestly, maybe they just, their love for one another has waned. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, it seems like it, it is. It, and I think some of it we're, we're hesitant to talk about love, because it's been so abused of like, oh, love just means you love everyone. You know, it doesn't matter what they've done. And and love is just this soft kind of, you know, cheesy pop psychology word, but it's like, no, there's a genuine definition of love, you know, of seeking the good of another. Mm -hmm. Right. That's a real thing. And a Christian should be marked by seeking the good of others. Yeah. Sometimes that means telling the truth. Sometimes, I mean, it always means telling the truth, but sometimes it could be saying hard things. Sometimes it could be, allowing people to face consequences. But regardless, there should be a sense of like, I want what's best for that person. Right. And maybe if you're the kind of guy that's like, I don't want the best for that person. I don't know if it means you're not a Christian, but that's probably more indicative of your heart than like, whether you, you know, said a cuss word or, you know, didn't read your Bible a couple of days in a row or something like that. You know? Yeah.
1: I think, I think this is, I think it's probably why when Jesus, when Jesus says something like, if you have anger in your heart towards your brother, it's it's like you're a murderer, or that that you've I, th- I think that something there about anger being more like, I'm I'm pursuing your ill, like the like I want badness for you. Like I don't think a Christian can ever be marked by that sort of, I, I, I want ill to befall you. I want a bad outcome for you. Like that, that is, that is what it is to hate somebody. That's what it is to. To the opposite of love is, it's not that I don't only want your good, I want the bad for you. I want a bad outcome for you. And that that's just horrible. And I, that is just, un it's I, it's unfitting for a Christian to have that sort of mentality. And, and you're right, it does concretize what love is. And so it makes it more easy to practice in one sense, because we know what the goal is, but harder to practice because
0: it's a really high bar. All right. Well, it's great chatting. We're going to be back next week. We have a cool little interview uh, with tony arsenal of the reformed brotherhood talking about the trinity paul's not going to be a part of it but so uh, sad. it's still going to be a great interview and i can't wait for you guys to listen to it catch you guys next time